0: So, tonight's uh, topic Second Noble Truth. Slight review of the Four Noble Truths. Second Noble Truth, the truth of suffering. No, the cause of suffering. Which is also the truth of suffering. The cause. Suffering and craving are not separate, right? They're the same. I was talking about that last week. So I'm going to kind of review a little bit and then really, put just really kind of uh, unpack or delve into the uh, second noble truth. You know, like I was saying uh, a few weeks ago, I've been kind of going through, you know, the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha's Life, Four Noble Truth. The Buddha was, uh, you know, often described as a doctor uh, or psychiatrist. Although I like doctor better than psychiatrist. And his treatment was to remove the splinter of suffering. Splinter of Suffering from the Minds of Humans. This is what really all of Buddhism is about. And I I first heard this Splinter of Suffering kind of reference. um, the teacher, Guy Armstrong, looked out over a retreat, long retreat I was sitting on. And he was talking about the Buddha, but he was also talking about himself, and he said, you know, I wish... I wish that I could just reach out and pull the splinter of suffering out of each of your minds. But I can't do that. And neither could the Buddha. Because it's the process, right? It's the journey. It's the recognizing our own suffering and the cause of our own suffering. That's, you know, it's extremely, the whole, like, every step of this practice is about realization. You know, no magic wands here. No, we're going to just make it go away. Because it, life's not like that. We want it to be, though, right? We want it to just all go away sometimes. Or not go away. So the four noble truths are often described as the course of treatment, the ailment, suffering. There is suffering in this world. This is also defined as stress, anguish, dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with the way things are. And if there's something that can be done about it. Then why not do something about it? But if there's nothing that can be done about it. Then why not accept. The way things are. The diagnosis. The cause of suffering is craving. Tanha. Otherwise known as thirst. The unquenchable thirst. Of desire or passion as a way that, or enchantment this is one of the ways like the, some of the ways that it's described tanha uh, means thirst the unquenchable thirst or self-centered craving right so there's this craving insatiable kind of desire wanting and then there's the uh Self-centered craving, the me mind craving, which is uh, I want to be sustainable, stable, not age, not get sick, not die, or uh, some would say the craving for existence. Right? Just this is the way it's talked about as. Uh, the diagnosis, right? Ajahn Amaro, one of my teachers, who's been a monk for a long time, describes it like this in his translation of the Buddhist teachings. Uh, This bhikkhus is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. Bhikkhus means monks or practitioners. This bhikkhus is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is that craving, compelling, intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight. Now here, now there. It is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something and the craving to feel nothing. So this is the existence, non-existence, the craving To be something. Some stable, sustainable self. Identity view is what it's often called. Or the craving to feel nothing. Or just to feel pleasure all the time. It's either feel nothing, in other words, not feel pain. Or feel pleasure all the time. We are often trying to hold on to, push away, or numb out our experiences. Hold on to, push away, or numb out. Or just, yeah, just avoid altogether. (laughs) I actually um, was working with someone not too long ago. and, And they were talking about feelings. And they would say like this, feelings. I'm not really used to talking about my Feelings. And I said, "So, how do you feel about that?" <laughs> Which was made me laugh, laugh internally. And then um, I said, "Well, you know, I'm just not used to it. I don't. I don't. I've just been. I just prefer to avoid you know, the feeling realm." I was like, how that's, "How's that working out?" Mm-hmm. Not so good, because it just comes out in all these other ways, right? And it's part of who we are. You know, uh, Eckhart Tolle calls, calls it the feeling body. The, there's the, you know, the, the emotional body or the feeling body. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of describing. It. I think that yogic practitioners, yog, yoga teachers, say that too sometimes. Anyway, so we are often trying to hold on, push away, or numb out of our experiences, or avoid altogether. And this is the craving, to have things be other than they are. Really, the second noble truth is, wake up. See that you're causing your own suffering. And then apply steps 3, 4, 8, 12 to rectify the situation. I just randomly set numbers, but you know, that's the idea, right? Mindfulness, relax, observe, allow. Just that that's the prescription, right? There's more to it, because the Buddha, he really unpacked it in such a way that it can be condensed to one point and expanded farther than any of us can even comprehend But, wake up. See that there is suffering. See that there's a cause. Know the cause. Have it be understood. Don't be in denial. Then there's the prognosis. The end of this suffering that you've seen, and the knowing the cause of, is possible. The end is near. That could be bad. But it's not the end is near the prognosis is good there is a way out there's another way and then this other way is known as the eightfold path the treatment which is the yeah you know the prescription so over the past you know weeks months years hopefully you've seen this ailment hopefully you've seen this Uh, suffering maybe not the cause because it's subtle but this is what this practice is for if you have this is a good thing if you've seen suffering in your life and you've been able to recognize it i broke it down last week so those of you who weren't here uh, you can get the recording online or you can just keep coming until i talk about it again because i will So, if we see it, if we can recognize it, then we can do something about it. Because until we can really see our suffering, yeah, we can't do anything about it. And we're just in denial, right? Don't even know I am lying. Denial. So, we use this form, right, this practice, as a tool, both to reveal our habits. Our habits of mind, you know, and to help us uh, see our craving, our craving to have things be other than they are. Now, I know that this is uh, it's both both a very profound understanding and very hard to actually day to day moment to moment. Oh, yeah, I'm just unhappy with the way things are, and if I could just be accepting of the way things are, then I wouldn't suffer. Okay, yeah, great, do that. Don't talk about it, right? I'm talking to myself. That's what I tell myself sometimes. Without judgment, though with loving kindness and compassion. (laughs) When I mess up. Because we all mess up. That's why we're not enlightened. Enlightenment is the freedom from suffering. The eradication. The destruction of suffering. So how does this look, right? So whether it's you know there's this way we're going to get into preference a little bit, you know. So whether it's cold or warm, you know, it's too hot or too cold. I joked on it before and I said someone's been sitting in my in my seat, right? Because the right this wasn't I like the the thick kind of buckwheat cushions. Uh, the other ones are too squishy for me. Um, so it's a preference. Right? So I went around and found the one that I wanted. Something I could do about it. I could have just been happy with the way things are. I would have maybe caused another form of suffering. So we have to. Uh, we use this practice so that we can bump up against our preferences, right? our likes, our dislikes. And you know, when we're pro- when we're properly motivated, we can do something about. There's certain things that we like or dislike. That we can't just you know uh, sh- shuffle. And believe me, I, if there's a you know there's an option, there's plenty of extra seats. Otherwise, I would have just sat here. Maybe, maybe I would have walked over there, and found the one that I want. It's okay to have preferences, but when we are, are rigid about our preferences and that it has to be this way all the time, this is suffering. This is the cause of suffering. In our lives, you know, we're, we're making unconscious decisions to avoid suffering. This is instinctual. It has to do with our, you know, our uh, reptilian brain. Right? The oldest part of our brain that is about finding comfort and avoiding discomfort. That's why we're all still here. But it's also uh, been overlooked. You know, you you guys are in that. You can feel free to move. Some people have moved to the shade. You can do that if you want. It's okay, right? Just like my cushion, right? So If we can do something about to avoid further suffering, <laughs> let's do it. There you go. <laughs> now it's not. Now is it just right? Cry- just right. Okay. So anyway, uh, this is our this is our tendency, instinctual. Unconscious decision to avoid suffering. So here we're trying to rebel against that tendency. So we don't have to constantly. uh, Do whatever the mind wants us to do. So there is a little bit of like. Sitting with the discomfort. And it's you know about knowing what's prudent. What makes sense. Meditation is a fierce practice Uh, in the way that it reveals the stark reality of our everyday mind. So we're constantly going through our day. And there's all this stuff happening, this chatter, this mental fabrications, as I like to call it. All the time, constantly. And we're usually unaware of it. And then we come and we sit and we have this form. This is called the formal practice. We come, we sit. Breathe in, breathe out. Try to aim your attention on one place, like the breath, tip of the nose, sensations of the body, and just try to hold the attention there and see what happens. Right. And what we often, the first realization, is that our minds are out of control, doing whatever the hell they want, and we don't have uh, we don't have uh, as much. Kind of uh, control, or uh, uh, what's another word? We, we don't. I, I think about kind of reining it in. We don't have it reined in in the same way that actually we're you know like the way dogs are. We're very much like dogs, Like just getting pulled by our senses, by our nose the whole time, wanting, 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 right? Or like. Uh, one of the ways that i I think about it is that um, you know when you want to train a dog to stay on a leash you, you you put it on the leash and then you walk with it, and it you know it's kind of kind of pulls or it stops or it doesn 't I was doing this with my mom 's dog not too long ago, where it would just sit or or it pull back right This is what the mind does right but eventually over time it 'll start to just oh okay, it gets the idea walking. Naturally, normally. And then eventually, you can actually just let the leash go and it'll still just stay right there. So we're trying to do the same thing. rein in. Train the mind in the same way. So that it doesn't just take off running and come back, go forward, go backward. We are constantly... This is a quote from... uh, Thoughts Without a Thinker. Who knows? The author of Thoughts Without a Thinker. And I can't remember right now. It'll come back to me. We are constantly murmuring, muttering, scheming, or wondering to ourselves under our breath, comforting ourselves. You know, our internal life is constantly preoccupied with the voices of I like this, I don't like that, she hurt me. How can I get that? More of this, no more of that. This is all an attempt to find pleasure and comfort and possibly avoid you know, discomfort or unpleasant thoughts and feelings. So, this is, you know, so there's this undercurrent that's happening all the time. And mindfulness is like, you know, when you see a river or a stream that looks kind of like it's not moving, it's not flowing, but it is, it is, but it looks like it's just kind of settled. Mindfulness is like taking a stick, putting it in that rib, in, in that stream, and then watching the eddy go around, or the, the current go around it, and you're, oh, wow. My mind is a little more active than I might have thought. Hmm. Just some, a way I like to look at it. So as we make an effort to head down this path of meditation, then we have these obstacles that get in our way. these uh, What are often called hindrances, right? The comforting thing is that we all have the same obstacles. Just different ones pop up at different times. And this is a way that we can actually begin to kind of analyze or see the cause of our suffering by the way that uh, this stuff comes up. Yeah, so we know these obstacles. We all know. They're wanting, craving, aversion, anger, ill will, sleepiness. How many people are feeling sleepiness, drowsiness right now? Yeah. And then there's a slight, maybe even during meditation, I don't know, maybe, uh, this like, this like, on one hand maybe wanting to just like oh just napping would be great and on another hand this like kind of something else inside of you kind of pulling you to be be, be here to be back not doze off right? so there's a and there could be a slight suffering if there's judgment on top of that god i can never meditate without falling asleep it takes training and sometimes we're just tired So yeah, you might have experienced some of these things in meditation. Right, I'm going to go through them a little a little bit more detail. Wanting, craving, desire. The hindrance of uh, desi- We'll call it desire because it what it said uh, in the in the quote from Ajahn Amaro. Ever seeking a fresh delight now here, now there. It is namely the craving of sensual delight. Sensual desire. The craving to be something. The craving to feel nothing. So that's two different things. But the uh, sensual delight. So it doesn't just mean like... I mean, it's, it means senses. Our senses. Our, our nose. We want to smell pleasant smells. Not unpleasant smells. Right? We want to we want to see pleasant things, not unpleasant things. We want to hear pleasant sounds, not unpleasant sounds. So there's this kind of like we want to feel pleasant sensations in the body, not unpleasant sensations. Who wants to feel unpleasant sensations? (laughs) Or smells? I mean, sometimes there's a weird curiosity on it, right? With an unpleasant smell, you're like, what is that? But for the most part, that's the case. There are some distorted thinkers, but you know, like me. <laughs> but the noticing of the "Oh, I want more pleasant," than the opposite, right? Oh, well, I'm sorry, wanting craving. Uh, clouds our view of the present of the present, right? What we are thinking. All the things we miss or don't have that we want. This is that wanting that there's a little, there's a subtle um, scarcity involved in, it. which then you know leads to the greed, the you know the clinging, wanting. It's a big problem, right? And we're just it's not it's not instinctual, but what it is is it's conditioned. We're conditioned to want more. It doesn't really matter what. Some people want more, unpleasant actually. They feel like they deserve it. I'm working with a group uh, currently that uh, it, they don't know it yet, but that's what's happening. You know, there's this subtle, I'm undeserving, unworthy of good things in my life. Maybe some of you might have that. So when this happens, you know, we're often, we often go off in some kind of fantasy how this moment could be better than it is, this uh, wanting, this desire. And I have a, not enough time to tell a story, so I won't. I'll tell a little bit of it. So I was meditating in Thailand, Right, I was meditating in Thailand, and uh, I was. It was like hot, and you know, mosquitoes, and outside it was like, you know, fifteen times hotter and muggier than it is right now, with no fans. And um, meditating in this beautiful place, it was a beautiful coconut grove, and like it was, it was very beautiful. And they had uh, breakfast that they gave us every morning at this monastery that I was staying at, and the breakfast every day was rice gruel. So it was like rice. Kind of soup with like little like maybe peas or little carrots or something in it, and then you know you put a little bit of honey in it or some molasses, and then it was decent, right? But um, but it was food, and I enjoyed it. But there was one day I was sitting in meditation, it was like you know five, six, seven days in rice gruel every day, rice gruel, rice gruel, rice gruel. So it was right before breakfast, I started to you know, okay, I'm gonna have some rice gruel, and then I caught a smell, and then in my mind, banana pancake. banana pancakes they have lots of bananas or I'm in Thailand pancakes are totally vegetarian okay back to the breath back to the breath and then I'm off thinking about banana pancakes and how there's that molasses and oh it's going to be so good and then I'm just waiting for the bell to ring just like in, in, totally intense, enthralled in fantasy of eating banana pancakes, right? I love banana pancakes, by the way. And, um, and Thailand has very good banana pancakes with Nutella on them. Sorry, but back to the story. And then, so I'm like, just really viscerally experiencing eating banana pancakes. And then so the bell rings, and I jump up out of my seat, which my legs are asleep, so I like kind of almost fall. I didn't fall, but I almost fall. And then I'm you have to go walk down this path. And I'm like it's kind of running, walking mindfully quickly. And I get to this dining hall, which is just like cement slabs and tables, and guess what was there? Rice gruel. And I was like, oh and then I remember feeling just laughing. Right? I just loved it. Like, oh yeah. Desire. That's what was happening totally overwhelmed like the, or, you know totally took over the last you know 20 minutes of my meditation but it was a huge lesson I mean I still remember it today you know it was worth telling <laughs> aversion anger right you know we might get heated or taken over by emotion thoughts memories uh, lost in a story or just feel resistance to trying anything new or different this is. Aversion, right? This is the aversive kind of personality type, actually. There's a whole personality type that is aversive. It's that. I know people that actually make that face. Sufi dancing, no. Yoga, no. I'm like that a little bit. We're all like that a little bit. But when it comes up in the mind, right? And there's uh, something that we don't want to experience, so then, there's sleepiness or drowsiness, which I already kind of talked about. You know, which really, what you know, what's helpful, most helpful is just to try to increase your energy, right? And sometimes even standing up can be helpful to work with that, or walking meditation, it's very helpful. So agitation, right? The opposite of sleepiness. This is where we get stirred up, and there's this. There's all these ways in the, in the, in the, the text, in the, the Buddhist teachings, he gives these examples. And one is um, like agitation is like a settled, clear pond that is then, uh, uh, the surface of it is um, kind of agitated with, with wind. So there's a wind, the agitation of, of the mind is like a wind kind of uh, you know, uh, disrupting the still forest pool of our mind. Um, so, yeah, the mind is kind of bouncing around, right? We call this monkey mind, right? From this thought to that thought to this desire it can be, it doesn't, it, there, there can be other hindrances involved, right? Multi, multi hindrance, hindrance attack, the MHA, mm-hmm. multi hindrance attack when we're like feeling aversive and then some fantasy, some wanting, some desire, and then uh, some agitation, So monkey mind, you know this is really common, right? This happens, and what's important is that we can work with all of these things, right? But at first, that's that like that dog that's bouncing around. He's it's not, it's not trained. We're we're learning to train and it takes effort, it takes encouragement, it takes compassion. So uh, the last of this series is um, known as the hindrances: is doubt or disbelief, although also fear anxiety, too, can be a little bit of that. So why the hell did I come to this meditation group? Why am I meditating? Like, this is so not helpful. All it does is drudge up all these thoughts and memories where I'm just distracted the whole time. It's not peace and ease like, you know, that teacher saying or whatever, you know. Doubt. Doubt, doubt. And then with doubt can come judgment and separation, and fear. The MHA, multiple hindrance attacks. We have to be careful of those. So these are some of the ways that uh, craving, the cause of suffering, plays itself out. And we don't even, it's not, it's like, it seems like it's not related. Because we're so caught in whatever it is. But it generally is, uh, Craving, it's either craving to have more of the good or aversion to have less of the bad, right? And we're doing this all the time. (laughs) Push-pull. Some people do that in relationships, push-pull, over and over again. They want more of the good and they want none of the whatever, negativity or, I don't know, whatever's. Aversive to people in relationships. So this is all normal. It's just the mind. It's not your mind. It's the mind. Obstacles. Conditions. So craving inevitably leads to more suffering. Claving craving inevitably leads to more. Suffering. Last week I talked about Ajahn Chah's quote. You know, there's dukkha dukkha. There's the suffering that causes more suffering. This is, you know, when craving, wanting things to be other than they are. Ultimately, acceptance or, um, you know, just being with what is, right? Relax, observe, allow. This is the best instruction. So then, Ajahn, the second part of the Ajahn Chah quote is uh, there's the craving or the suffering, I'm sorry, that leads to the end of suffering, which is when we turn awareness to it, when we recognize it, and we do something different. So, this is um, <clears throat> some quotes from the Buddha around uh, craving and freedom. If this sticky, uncouth craving overcomes you in the world, your sorrows grow like wild grass after a rain. If in the world you overcome this uncouth craving, hard to escape, sorrow rolls off you like water, like water beads off a lotus. So the this another um, quote uh, you know abandoning craving opens. Up the possibility of awakening. So, abandoning craving opens, hard to do, easy to say, but abandoning craving opens up the possibility of awakening. So, uh, you know, I talked about even the roots, you know, some of the root cause of suffering from His Holiness the Dalai Lama um, ignorance and grasping, clinging to things that change. This is a cause of suffering. So, if we can find a way to loosen or release our grasp you know even for a moment then there's this calm that can come over us so according to his holiness the dalai lama and the buddhist teachings you know the root cause of suffering can be eliminated by awareness of the mental states as they arise so seeing Craving arise. Wanting. Desire. And acknowledging it. Oh. This is wanting. This is desire. I see you. Right? Like the story of the Buddha. I see you Mara. I see you for what you are. Just a mind state. Just craving. We don't have to act on it. We don't have to have dog mind. Or monkey mind. We can have human mind. Or there's a choice. If we can habituate our minds towards non-grasping, in essence transforming the habits of our minds or our preferences, we will gain knowledge and come out of ignorance. So gaining knowledge is this awareness, turning awareness towards, Oh, oh this is fear. Uh, there's this little book that I read a long time ago. Like it's, it's the book The Little Book of Fear, and it's the story about this little boy who' was trying to overcome fear. And his dad said, "Turn towards it. you know say hello, hello, fear. And so he, they were walking at night or something, and they, the boy became scared, and the dad picked him up and comforted him and said, "You know, let's look at fear. And then at the very end, uh, the dad is uh, you know bringing the, the you know putting the, the boy to bed. And leaving the room, turns off the light, and then he hears, hello, fear. And it's just like, can we just do that? Can we just turn and just say, hello, fear. Hello, anxiety. Hello, despair. I see you. I'm not hiding. I'm not pretending you don't exist. If this is um, another kind of quote from the Dalai Lama, you know, if positive mental states arise in the mind, negative mental states cannot arise. The, the, The understanding here is that no two things can exist in the same space at the same time. This is also proven by science. Or if you just look at a sunset or a sunrise. Darkness into light we increase the light, the darkness wanes. To develop mindfulness and concentration is the way out of conditioned suffering. And then just back to the... There's another story, but I don't have time to tell it. Relax. Observe allow each moment I'll tell the story next time when we talk about the the third noble truth which is I may actually go third noble truth into right understanding because third noble truth is pretty like there's a prognosis it's good once you once you see the cause of suffering then you can do something about it.